the only tool missing from your belt. Simpro, total business software for the trades. When you choose Simpro, you get the digital power tools of the trades that make work, work. Founded by trades, for the trades. Simpro is your solution for scheduling, quoting, inventory tracking, and easy workflow management that grows with you. Join more than 200,000 users worldwide who trust Simpro to help them run and grow their business. We're here for you, so let's get to work. gentlemen welcome back to the security insider podcast and we are speaking once again today with chris delaney the industrial relations advisor at azial how are you chris i'm well thank you john and you good uh probably not as busy as you given the week that's been going on with the uh the senate and passing all sorts of new industrial relations reforms uh, uh what, yes. what did we have on the 8th of 8th of feb i believe it was the senate passed the second element of the closing the loop bill that we had been discussing previously um, and there'd been a lot of speculation about what it means to employers. So now I guess you're in a better position to tell us a little bit about, well, what do we know? Oh, thanks, John. Look, you're right about speculation. There's been a hell of a lot of it. Um, and that's because we don't get a lot of detail coming out of uh, out of some of the decisions that are made. But while there's been a fair bit of, uh, you know, a fair bit of an inquiry, the Senate inquiry, it, it's been somewhat transparent. Um, and uh, unfortunately, though, there's a lot yet to be revealed. Uh, you know, let's not forget that much of this uh, this tranche of the legislation doesn't come into effect for six months after a royal assent, you know, yeah. signed by the Governor-General. So we've got a bit of time, um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot to it. There's a hell of a lot to it. Yeah. So what do you see are the major issues for employers in the security industry? Because, of course, we're seeing on the news they're talking about what it will mean for temporary workers, casual workers, food delivery workers, all that sort of stuff. But how does this apply to the security industry? Yeah, well, we luckily we don't have to worry too much about the gig economy and yep. uh, delivery people. But, uh, look, late last year we sat down with senior policy advisor to David Pocock and they listened to our concerns, um, and our concerns were not dissimilar to a lot of uh, a lot of employer groups. Uh, but the big issue that we had a, at that stage was uh, casual employees, and uh, they listened to that, and I think they have acted on it. Yeah. With, with the passing of the closing of loopholes too, I think there are key changes in about four areas. Yep. As I said, the definition of casuals and pathway to permanent employment. The right to disconnect, which is something that uh, a lot of people are really talking about. Uh, not to accept texts or calls or emails outside of working hours. Uh, same job, same pay. Uh, they've been tidied up somewhat, thank goodness, by the Senate uh, and may not have as big an effect uh, on the security industry as we were worried about for a while. And the definition of employee or personal services contractor, you know, whether that service worker is an employee or whether they're an independent contractor. Um, and that's going to be determined based on the real substance of the, uh, uh, of the, the, the work that's being performed, the practical re reality of it and the true nature of the working relationship. So it'll, uh, as I said, we've got a lot, we've got a lot to do. And, yeah. Uh, 
you will find stuff on the website, but I'll talk about that later on. Yeah. Okay. Well, for fear of going back over old ground, you 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 kicked off by mentioning ca- changes to uh, definitions of casual employment and pathways to employment. But for those people who are interested in that, we've covered this to some degree in previous podcasts, and you'll find those on the ASIAL website under www.asial.com.au. If you go to the news section, you'll see the podcast there. You'll see previous podcasts with Chris um, where we've discussed this, you know, and its origins in, uh, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, Skeen versus Risotto and some of these other cases that have brought about changes to the definition of what is a casual and what is not a casual. So for fear of rehashing that, because people can go back and see that, let's let's skip to the right to disconnect. Because I must admit, I, I find this a little bit mind-boggling, but I understand you know, the a lot of the context around this is people receiving texts at, you know, all hours of the evening and, and you know, morning and all sorts of strange things. And to be honest with you, I, I hadn't really understood it until someone said, yeah, but you're forgetting to take into account the nature of remote workforces now where, you know, someone might go off and decide that they're going to work, you know, this evening because they want to take their dog or their kids to the beach during the day and then they'll have a report that's due the next day. So they're texting other staff members at 10 o'clock at night going, hey, I need this information because I can't progress without it. What will this mean under this new section? Yeah, look, that's interesting. And in fact, I probably didn't quite. Re- I mean, when you work like I do, yep, you get people, and you, you know, yep. get people contacting us at all day, all times of the day and night. And my wife often says to me, "Don't you know how to say no?" <laughs> uh, you know, and probably I don't. I, yep. I remember sent me a, an email on Saturday, and I thought, "Well, hang on, yeah, uh, do I really need to answer this on a Saturday?" And Look, that's part of all of this because we've, we've, we've entered an age where everything's immediate. Yeah. Everything's instant. You know, we don't cook a meal anymore. We ring up the Uber, you know, Uber Eats and we get something sent to us. We want to be able to do things 24-7. And sometimes that sort of leaks out a little bit and we don't have any real time to ourselves because our boss decides that he wants you to be available 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. With with this legislation, and uh, remember, it's not going to come in for a, probably about 18 months for small business, so larger businesses might get it a little bit earlier, but we've got a fair bit of time to sort of sort that through as well. Um, the idea is that, you know, if you want work-life balance, you knock off, you go home, and you decide under this legislation, you decide whether you're prepared to take information from the boss or not. Yeah. Am I am I going to answer the phone? Am I going to uh am I going to uh answer the email, the text message, whatever. Now, a lot's going to really turn on the type of job that you've got. Yeah. And the type of industry that you're working in. And I think they've they've probably come close to sorting that out. Um it doesn't prohibit uh, reasonable work-related communication with employees outside of, of, of ours. So, for instance, if you needed to send somebody a roster or if somebody said, look, I'm available, so just let me know and I'll, I'll work overtime, I'll come back in, I'm on call-out. Uh, if you're going to get paid for being called out, 
if you've got a contract of employment that says that this is how it will all work and you agree to it um, and, um, you know, you haven't changed your your agreement to all of that, it'll, it'll probably work reasonably well. I, you know, I don't know about you, I'm pretty old. Uh, <laughs> I can remember we didn't have a telephone at home when I was a kid, uh, a little kid anyway. And the woman next door used to come in and tell my dad if he was going to be called in for an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, everybody's got a mobile phone now. Pick it up, you get a text. And there seems to be some kind of immediacy about it. So this might throw a little bit of sense back into the whole deal. Yep. Remember, we're not, we're, we're not bloody trailblazers in all of this. Yeah. It's happening overseas all over the place. So... A bit of sense, a sensible way of approaching it. Uh, there will be exceptions on both sides uh, of, of this argument, but I think if we're sensible about it, yes, you'll get it. You'll get an SMS to clock on and clock off. In all probability, you you know you, you your life is in in that mobile phone. Yeah, but you'll have the right to decide whether you want to pick it up or you don't want to pick it up. And you'll have a conversation with your employer about that, and sensible people will approach it sensibly. Yeah, I I foresee there being some issues around this, especially more if you're working in an office or administrative, or I suppose, um, yeah, more office type role because shift work security staff have been used to forever and a day getting text messages at all day all times of the day and night asking if they're going to be available for a shift the next day and I don't necessarily see that as being applicable to this because it's a single communication that doesn't require a huge amount of response and thought and interaction but if I'm for example a, a consultant or if I'm someone who works at a security systems integration business or a contracting business I think we've got this interesting um, paradox that's going on now between everyone screaming for flexible hours, but then saying, but don't contact me outside of hours. If I'm working on a team with you and we're responding to a tender that has to be submitted by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, and I've decided I'm going to go to my kid's soccer game this morning instead of working, and now I'm texting you at nine o'clock at night going, Chris, I need these final documents because I've got to submit this tender tomorrow morning and you're like, piss off, don't talk to me, it's nine o'clock at night. There's going to be some issues there that are going to have to be sorted out. But those sorts of things get sorted out between sensible people. If you are both working on that tender, then you will know that that's going to happen. If you are going to go to your kid's soccer game in what would normally be business hours and you're going to work on something at nine o'clock at night, you'll you'll tell you. Your, yeah. your your uh, your workmate. Yeah. Look, it's, it's when the uh, it's when the boss wants to send you some kind of uh, uh, message that you really don't want to have, or that, that can wait. Yeah. You know, lots of things can wait. Yeah. We don't have to do them immediately. If we plan properly, lots of things can wait. And I think you know, I think that'll happen. Yeah. I think it'll happen. But you know, you, you might you might not have turned up to work for three days. Yeah. And I might want to contact you and find out what's going on. Yeah. You know? Well, about yeah. welfare, might be a welfare check or something like that. So, again, sensible, yeah. reasonable behaviours, and we should be okay. Yeah. Okay. 
so the other point that you you came to after that one was changes around casual arrangements. What can we expect to see here and how is that potentially changing? Yeah, again, these aren't going to come in for about six months or so. So, you know, we need to really think about that. Look, under the last government, they changed the rules about casuals so that if you were in a contract and the contract says, you know, you're a casual, then you were a casual. There was no other consideration of what might be going on in that arrangement. Also under the old legislation, uh, you... you, uh, uh, so, sorry, under the current legislation, uh, you had to uh, you had to offer the employee uh, casual conversion at a certain point in time. Now, some of those things are going to change. Yeah. Now, we will go back to a practical way of looking at the entire relationship and making an assessment of that relationship for what it really is, not for what we said it was. Yeah, And that will happen with independent contractors too, and I might sort of touch on that later on. But the whole idea is, you know, the old duck test. If it quacks and it waddles and it's got feathers, it's a duck. Yeah. You can call it a rooster if you want to, but it's still a duck. Yeah. So the, the key changes uh, that the cross branches have, have put in uh, will do things like ensuring that the uh, – Employment contract can still be considered by the Fair Work Commission. Yeah. Right. But looking at a whole range of other things. Yeah. Allowing an employee to offer or refuse to offer casual yep. and the employee to accept or reject that employment. Um, allowing fixed term contracts for casuals. You know, you might want a casual to do three months to cover somebody who's on long service leave. Yeah. Now, it's regular and systematic work over a three-month period, but it would still be a casual arrangement. For, it's for a specific purpose, job and finish. Yeah. You might even find that it happens in the uh, event industry, you know, where you might have a season for football or something like that. Yeah, We have seasonal arrangements in the security services industry award, but this might this might help in that, in that regard. I don't know for sure, but it, it might. Is this um, to sort of, sorry to jump in there, but I was yeah, going to say, on. is this to address some of the stuff that we discussed previously where changes to casual employment definitions were that, you know, if it was reasonably foreseeable and predictable and, you know, it was coming from a particular source over a set period of time, you could say, oh, well, that's no longer casual. But there was some very open-ended interpretations of that and all the rest of it. Is this to try and address some of those issues? Yeah, uh, it is. And I think the discussion that we had with Senator Pocock's office helped in a way. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of other organisations who've said similar things, but I, I think they started to understand that particularly in our industry, casual employment is absolutely essential. You know, we have demand and supply arguments all the time. We have, uh, we have clients who will beef things up and drop things down, even from simply somebody smashes a window in the shop and you've got to have somebody stand out there immediately. Yeah. Uh, or you've got the Commonwealth Games and they want 4,500 staff. Yeah. You just don't have those people hanging around in full-time jobs waiting to get some work. So yeah. I think it seems to me to be reasonably sensible, but, again, we've got a lot 
to go before we find out exactly how it's going to work. And we have to accept, and it's probably not going to be for this podcast necessarily, unions will have a lot more power under this uh, legislation, right of entry, delegates' powers, much more power. So we might find ourselves in more arguments, yeah. particularly where things are not clear. Yeah. Okay. Now, same job, same pay. This is something that we had discussed on a podcast a while ago. And I have to say, at the time, this didn't make a whole heap of sense to me as it was written at that period in time, whereby if I am a cabler and I am on a job site, there was fear and speculation that, you know, well, if the cabler is doing something akin to what an A-grade electrician might be doing, but the A-grade electrician's off supervising someone else, then they should be paid the same money because they're doing the same job, which on the surface of it is both moronic and, and not functional. However, <laughs> how has that changed? Because I'm assuming common sense has prevailed here to some degree and things have cleared up a bit. Yeah, look... The concept uh, was developed to overcome very, very large companies having internal labour supplies at a cheaper rate than they might have for, for their group on site. Now, you yeah. might have a large mining company. You've got a mine in the middle of Queensland somewhere, yeah. uh, but you set up internally a labour hire company where you can hire these people out to your mine site at much lower wages than the people who are actually on the mine site. Yep. It was set up to stop that. But the way it was uh, the way it was drafted in the first place, it was going to capture a whole heap of other things, you know, the collateral damage that comes from poorly, uh, poorly drafted legislation. Yep. To an extent that's been fixed up. Um, I don't think technical security providers are going to be uh, caught up in this a, a lot. Um, you know, we lo looked at the idea that uh, you sent, you know, your technician, uh, alarm technician or your CCTV guy on site uh, and, uh, and he or she uh, was working alongside somebody else on site and you would have, you know, different wages and so on. This really applies to labour, people yep. without skills, without technical skills. So I think for the most part, we're not going to have a really big problem with this. Yeah. But again, you know, uh, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, as they say. We're not going to get caught up in the big fights, quite frankly, I would doubt. Uh, might happen on a construction site, doubt it. Might happen in a mining area perhaps, uh, but the fight's going to be with the, the the bigger companies are going to have the fights. The little companies are not going to have the fights. We'll sit back and watch to see how some of this stuff rolls out when it goes to the federal court or it goes to the high court or the Fair Work Commission or wherever it might go. So I think, I think we'll be okay. Now, I'm sounding very positive about all of this, as you <laughs> appreciate. Um and I've got my fingers crossed a little bit as well, but there seems to have been a bit of sense come into this through the cross benches in the Senate, uh, and uh, hopefully 
the unions on site, wherever they might be, uh, behave sensibly as well. I mean, these are big changes that have come about for 10 years of coalition uh, and the unions without any power whatsoever. I mean, all you've got to do is look around today. Yeah. There are strikes everywhere. We've got Labor governments in every state. We've got Labor governments federally, and there are strikes all over the place. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, we've covered off a lot of stuff there as far as changes that it, we can talk about. The last one that that I wanted to go through that you mentioned at the beginning of this was changes to cover independent contractors because this has been a major issue for the security industry forever and a day from, you know, sham ABNs to zombie, you know, uh, contracting and, and multi-tier contracting and all sorts of stuff. What What do these changes involve and what does this look like? Okay. Again, this comes from changes in legislation last year by the, uh, not last year, the year before, by the coalition government, where they reinvented uh, what a, an independent contractor might be. It also fits in with the gig economy a little bit because they talk about employee-like arrangements, right? So, I mean, as you said, the argument's gone on forever. Uh, we've had situations in our industry where um, where sham co- contracting, unfortunately, is, uh, has, has been a, a problem, um, either through ignorance or deliberately, and, and I think some deliberately. Let's uh, be honest, a lot of it deliberately. Okay. <laughs> not ASIO members, of course. No, of course not. But, uh, no. you know, there are plenty of companies out there who are prepared to try and make a buck. Yeah, and look, you know, they push the price down so that they can win over over their competitor, and uh, and you know, it's been happening way too much. Yeah, but it's going to stop. Now, what we're going to go back to is that multifactorial testing that we had before to decide whether this duck is a duck or a rooster. Yeah, uh, you'll find that uh, ABN holders, the sham arrangements that we see in the security industry, uh those people should start to get really worried. Yeah. Because we we will go back to a multifactorial test, as I said, uh, and it it will be implemented fairly strongly. And one of the reasons that it will be, which we're not going to talk about today in any depth, is wage theft. Yeah. Because if you intentionally or deliberately go about not paying an employee the right way or not paying them on time and they're determined to be an employee, that will be wage theft. Yeah. That will be a criminal conviction and that will stop you from being holding a security licence to, to run a business uh, and it will put you into a lot of trouble. So not going to happen overnight. You know, it's the old shampoo ad or whatever it is. Yep. Won't happen overnight, but it will happen. So... People should start to get a bit worried about that if they're in those types of relationships or even if they've got what they believe is a proper uh, independent contractor, principal contractor relationship, they need to start to rethink that and have a really good look at it and see whether they should be changing it to a direct employee relationship. 
Yeah, well, it seems that, uh, you know, and I imagine a lot of companies would fall into this. We all go out and we all go get our risk management plans done or our fire evacuation plans done or our sexual harassment plans done. And we feel very proud of ourselves and pat ourselves on the back and shove it on the shelf and don't look at it for another five years. Oh, Um, yeah. This is probably a similar thing with our, our contracting arrangements where it seems like it's time. You need to start pulling those things off the shelves and sticking them under the noses of people that they know what they're talk, uh, talking about, Crystal Amy, um, and reassessing them and finding out, is this still valid and does it still work? Which brings me to my final point. What's the message that you think everyone needs to take away from what we've discussed today? Well, as you said, we've got to take those things off the shelf and have a good look at them. We have to have a look at our business model. We have to understand that if you're going to get advice, you get it from the right people. You don't get it from your best mate. Yeah. You don't get it from your accountant because he, he might be great with the numbers on the books, but he won't understand the industrial laws the way a professional will. Well, you say that, but you spent a lot of money on doing a law degree. I saved all that money and did my own research on Google, and I'm sure that everything I say is right. Of course, of course you are. Of course you are. <laughs> Dr. Google is, uh, or Professor Google, or whoever he might be, um, can tell you lots of wonderful things. Some of it is so old that you, it doesn't have a date on it, yeah. and it will be out of date. You know, you've got to look at the contemporary stuff that's going on. Yeah, you've got to get good advice. You know, if you want to use a lawyer, use a lawyer. If you're a member of an industrial organisation of employers, use it. Yep. Don't be a membership and never walk through the door. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that goes doubly for ASIO members because it still astounds me to this point. And I know we're doing a plug here, which we shouldn't. But, you know, if you've paid your membership to ASIO, use the services that are available to you. This is included in your membership. Don't go out and have chat GPT write your contracts for you. Well, interestingly... Um, I had a guy ring me the other day about independent contractors. He said, oh, I've got all these ABN holders and, and my mate up the road who runs a security company, he says that I can do this, this, this and this. And I said, stop talking to him. Yeah. He is putting you into a position where you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So talk to the right people. Make sure they are the right people. Yep. Industry association is the first place you go to. You've paid your membership. Most of what you're going to get is free. Yep. Good, a good law firm that specialises in industrial relations. Yeah. Right? Not, 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 you know, the guy in the suburbs who does wills and uh, conveyancing and stuff like that. He's a lovely guy, but he, or or girl, but he doesn't uh, he doesn't understand the subtle nuances of of IR. So. You, you need to do that. So, as I said before, actively go about seeking out information. Um, understand that your labour costs are going to increase. You know, with the zombies going out last December, mm-hmm. a lot of people have had to go to direct employees and pay higher rates of pay and so on. That's going to continue. That's not going to stop. Not just the zombies, but a whole range of other things. So, just remember that you know, the unions are back. Yeah. Uh, playing catch up. So if you're reasonable size, um, you're going to expect the union to knock on your door and you need to know what to do 
when they do knock on your door. Yeah. No right of entry issues and so on. We haven't we haven't done a lot of that on on this one. Um, I've just written uh, some stuff for Aziel's, um uh, first alert, which comes out on Tuesday, the what thirteenth. Yep. There's twelve hundred words there. It's got more in it than what we've got here. We could probably do another two or three of these podcasts just on the changes in closing the loopholes too. And we're still feeling our way through closing the loopholes one. Yeah. So it's going to be you know, a bumpy ride, if I can put it that way. So, you know, go to the ASIL website, get the ASIL app, read the first alerts, particularly tomorrow's first alert. But we're doing this on Monday the 12th. Uh, and pick up the telephone. Yeah. You know, pick up the telephone. Don't just read Dr. Google. Yeah. Pick up the telephone and talk to the person who knows the answers to your questions or at least can best advise you. Yeah. Yeah, and mm. I, I can't stress strongly enough, you know, the point that you made earlier, stop asking bush lawyers who who think they know because they had a court case six years ago where someone did this and that happened there. I mean, court cases are like diets. Not everyone is the same and they don't all work for people the same way. You need to get specific advice. And, and not only that, John, um, today's court case might override yesterday's. Yep. You know, we've got decisions coming out. I spend between six and eight o'clock every morning reading what happened overnight yep. so that I'm full bottle on it. Yep. I mean, these guys are running their businesses and they don't have time to do all of that, but that's what we're here for, to yep. provide that help and that is that information. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you once again. Thanks, John. I, uh, I very much enjoyed our, our little chats. Absolutely. And I'm sure there'll be many more of them. It sounds like we've got a lot more to cover. And ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want more like them, there are plenty of other discussions that we've had with Chris around other things that you need to know, along with a whole range of other things. You can go to the ASIAL website, as I said earlier, at www.asial.com.au and look under the news sections there. That we're, I think we're just over 100 or so podcasts now. And you can also find them on Blurberry, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, and all the other great places that you find podcasts. And we look forward to speaking to you again next time. Have a great day. The only tool missing from your belt, Simpro. Total business software for the trades. When you choose Simpro, you get the digital power tools of the trades that make work, work. Founded by trades, for the trades. Simpro is your solution for scheduling, quoting, inventory tracking, and easy workflow management that grows with you. Join more than 200,000 users worldwide who trust Simpro to help them run and grow their business. We're here for you, so let's get to work.